Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Lee, imagine you're at work doing whatever crap they make you do to earn a paycheck. And then some strange looking muscle head walks in and pulls a gun. Now you're going to do what you're trained to do and give him the money, right? I, but yeah. Yeah, you're not taking a bullet for the register. Oh, no. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm taking a bullet for just about anybody. Like, <laughs> yeah. Unless it's my daughter, that, I don't think I will. That's like, a pretty short list. Yes. Like, I see where I rate. I come I come all the way up here to visit you. I'm not even on your list. That's okay. That's cool. I understand. No, uh, I'd um, take a knife, Dan, but not a bullet. Oh, no. I'll take a bullet, not a knife. I'll switch that around. I'd catch uh, a grenade <laughs> for you. Right, but, you know, you would do you would do what you're trained to do. That's what everyone tells you to do. Give him the money. Comply. Yes. And, and you'd expect, expect that guy to take the money and leave. But what if he didn't? What if he tells you to go in the back room, lay on the floor, and you think maybe he's going to leave you there uh, and, like, run off so you don't call the cops? But instead, this mustachioed psycho opens fire and executes you and your co-workers until there's no witnesses left to his strong-arm robbery. Grizzly, wow. senseless murder committed for a few thousand dollars in a store safe. The thought is enough to send chills up the spine of anyone who's ever worked a cash register. And in the early spring of 1997... It was the terrible reality for thousands of workers and tragically seven who lost their lives during a crime spree that rocked Middle Tennessee. Tonightly, on Beyond Terrestrial, we take a deep dive into the country singing wannabe Justin Parks, aka Paul Dennis Reed Jr., the fast food killer. Roll the tape. You are listening to the Beyond Terrestrial Podcast, your one-stop shop for the outstanding, the unconventional, and the downright strange. Strap in, because the boys are about to take a wild ride. I'm Funk Master B, setting up that tea for the duo of Gum Foolery. 
not only from other planets, but they're time travelers. Welcome back to the Beyond Terrestrial Podcast. I'm Lee coming to you from the Haunted Barn Studios, and we're in luck because Mr. Dan is here with me in studio, which almost never happens. Dan, how are you? I am excellent. I love it. We're kicking off our third season by getting together here in the Haunted Barn. We've got new announcer, new music, our first show over the moon our round table fantastic um but that first show lee and the round table we were way too excited to take ad breaks we took none <laughs> not none a single at all. one that is going to be great for our editors and uh speaking of editors lee we have a new editing team the fine folks over at simple equations media in las vegas nevada whether it's film television audio or music simple equations has you covered pre-production all the way through post-production they do the post for us thank you guys uh need a music video how about sound design on a movie they've got your back simple equations media helping you and schmoes like us Take your project from concept to completion. Go to simpleequationsmedia.com for more information. That's simpleequationsmedia.com. You can also find them on Facebook at Simple Equations or on Instagram at Simple Equations Media. And even on Twitter at Simple Equation underscore. Yes. Shout out to Mike, who was on our first episode. He's working over there at Simple Equations. He does the editing for these shows now, and he's a good dude. He's a one of the founding fathers of BT, and I am honored to be here in the Haunted Barn Studios, the the birthplace of uh, this crazy-ass show. <laughs> well, the birthplace of season two. Actually, it birthed in um, Mike michael's home studio actually oh yeah yeah well so um yes season two is when the haunted barn came to fruition oh well see i don't even know the whole history of the show and i'm on it that's okay that's all right who do who cares um but we do know some history about a certain mustachioed murderer that we are going to be getting into today lee every time you say mustachioed i just imagine like the bad guy in all of those like really old like um like uh cowboy movies the the pre <laughs> the pre John Wayne genre yeah. where they were like just tying up ladies and <laughs> like, like the twirling curly their their curly uh, mustache You know what though I'll, we'll put up pictures of uh, Mr. Paul Reed Jr. Um, he does kind of have a cowboy villain look to him. He could have been like a henchman in a cowboy movie um, with that mustache it's kind of a kind of a tom selicky sort of thing but his oh man he looks like a creeper you guys will have to check it out and when you hear the stories about the the stuff that he did it'll be even creepier yeah um i've seen a little bit of it and uh i'm excited to have dan tell me about it in the way that uh you can be excited to uh, watch a train crash yeah it's pretty it's pretty rough i mean and the thing is his crimes took him all the way up here to clarksville yeah yeah 
So it's it's right in the backyard here. Um, so I guess you know, let's get into it. Let's talk about the fast food killer. Now, early on, every every killer is like formed, rightly. You know, nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. Um, so his early life, Paul Dennis Reed Jr. was born November 12th, 1957 to Josephine Marie. And I'll, I'll give you a guess what Paul Jr.'s dad's name was. Was it Paul Sr.? <laughs> you are correct, sir. Ooh! Lee's <laughs> nailing it. I He's get on, the prize. You're on point today, son. <laughs> I even said that in the form of a question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, his mom, Josephine Marie, also called Joni, uh, left home at about 16. She had a very rough life. Uh, reportedly, she was abused by her mother. She may have been forced into prostitution as a teenager. And she moved around a bit before she met Paul Sr. Paul Sr. was a security guard in Fort Worth, Texas. Fort Worth. Fort Worth. And... Lone Star State. Yes. Yes. Everything's bigger in Texas. Uh, (laughs) He was um, also a drunkard, Lee. Oh. Yeah. You know, real classy guy. Um, And he did work as a repo man. Now, I want to, we're doing our research from a fantastic book by uh, Judith A. Yates. It's called When Nashville Bled. And it is a fantastic work, but it could have, in my opinion, used a little extra editing. It sometimes is confusing in these details, but it doesn't matter. Um, Paul Reed Sr. worked as a repo man, and his work would often take him away from home. Um, evidently he didn't like have a car. He'd like take the bus to go repo other people's cars and then drive their cars back. <laughs> Actually, that's not an awful idea. Like if you think about it, like, well, I mean, if you don't have any friends to drive you out there, then yeah, I guess. I, I think it's a great idea. Like you just do it alone, right? It's like a car theft, but like. Right. It- Maybe it was a car theft. Who knows? <laughs> Excuse me, officer. I'm not stealing this car. I'm repossessing it. Yeah, considering <laughs> considering Paul Jr.'s uh, rash of crime later on, it wouldn't surprise me if criminal activity was something that he learned from somewhere else. But anyway, I digress. Um, he would. He. I mean, he'd be at home. He'd be away from home for weeks at a time, um, and not always repossessing cars. Like sometimes he'd just go on a bender. You know, so he was a very absent father. Um, But despite not being around very much, him and Joni, his wife, had three kids and Paul Reed Jr. was the youngest. He had two older sisters. They're like the oldest was like five years older. The next was like two years older. Okay. so the only the only little boy, though, that might have been part of it. Paul Reed Jr., who would become the fast food killer was also born with a malformed left ear. Okay. It just oh. was not quite right. Um, and as he grew, it became clear that he was what they would call in back in those days, slow in air quotes. <laughs> um, today we'd say he was like developmentally delayed. Like he didn't, uh, you know, as an infant, he took longer to talk, took longer to walk, 
um, hit all those developmental milestones. And you know, Lee, you've taken a kid to the doctor's office. Like, that's something they check up on nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and it's like a it, – it's kind of like a, a gamble, too. Like, you're there and you're like, okay, all right, okay, all right. Yes, she nailed it. Yes. <laughs> right. And then the next time you're like – Yes, she nailed it. You're like, we are taking off the boxes like this kid is growing into a normal person. Success. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It, it, like, so that's all we can hope for sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, the thing is, like, um, you know, he was developmentally disabled. He had this malformed ear. Was his cognitive... A delay part of a birth defect was it part of his home life no one can say because he was never treated uh, he was hard of hearing on that side for his entire life never received any treatment that's a that's a great thing to do to your child yeah except for like a future cosmetic surgery but that's later on in the story <laughs> sure cosmetic <laughs> surgery in the 60s is great yeah or the right. 70s <laughs> yeah uh, this was what, fifty-seven? Is that right? When he was born was in the fifties, right? Fifty-seven, yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe the seventies when he had the fu- or the cosmetic surgery, maybe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, well, anyway, Paul's folks they got divorced. He was like three, and things really start to go off the rails as if it wasn't rough enough. Um, his drunk and absent father got custody of Paul and the middle sister. While the older sister went to live with her mom, I guess, like, the, I guess the reasoning behind this was that Joni, the mom, didn't have enough money to take care of three kids. So they're like, oh, we'll give her one kid. <laughs> and we'll let the other two stay with a drunk. Perfect. I, I think that that's great. Like, that that's logic. Yeah, that is... Uh, Oh, that's rough. Well, you know, it was uh, it was the uh, 60s, so what are you going to do? Um, so, I'm actually surprised any of them went to the father. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's shocking. That is shocking, too. I was like, when I read that, I was like, that's strange. I was like, well, the mom didn't have anything, so she you know, must not have. Anyway, uh, we digress again. Paul's dad was working um, to support his family and his drinking so he ditched Paul and his sister with uh, his mom, Paul Jr.'s paternal grandmother, who also happened to be named Josephine Marie. Is that a little weird? The guy's mom's name is Josephine Marie. He marries a gal named Josephine Marie. It's a little weird. It's a little weird. Uh, <laughs> a little mommy, mommy to, issue kind of thing. Yeah. To avoid any confusion, uh, we will call the elder Josephine Marie Grandma. Um, grandma was a widow. She was in her seventies. She cared for her own mother, bedridden Paul's great grandmother in the Oak forest neighborhood of Houston, Texas. She was a simple, hardworking woman by all accounts. She didn't drive and she devoutly attended Catholic mass. As Paul grew, it became very clear that grandma could not control the boy. It started with uh, stealing, little kleptomania. Toys would go missing around the neighborhood, clothes disappearing off of clotheslines, shoplifting. And then it escalated to naughty pranks. And not like fun naughty pranks that you might have with your significant other, like 
devious, malicious childhood pranks. Um, you say not not naughty pranks. Like, what kind of naughty pranks? Like pranks, like naughty antics, but naughty pr- like. <laughs> wait, uh, wait, wait! You're talking about like a naughty prank you might play on your significant other. I was thinking with your significant other. Like, w- what would be a prank? Like, skinny dipping in your neighbor's pool. That'd be a naughty prank. <laughs> uh, dick in a box. <laughs> That's a naughty prank you play on your own significant other. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Okay. You caught me, Lee. I was talking up my ass. Anyways, um, so, yeah, these pranks, and we use the term prank very loosely because this was pr- really crazy stuff. Um, Paul locked his grandma in her room, like put the chair up like you see in the movies. Oh wow! So we're like out. we're like we kidnapped the babysitter. <laughs> right. Yeah, we've got we we went from naughty pranks. What we really meant was kidnapping. Um, <laughs> he would put tacks like in the food, like she was like cooking one day. Okay, that's attempted murder. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and then w- this one is one hundred percent attempted murder. Uh, he tried to light her bed on fire while she slept in it. His own grandmother. Attempted murder. Like it's a murder. It's attempted murder. Yeah. Um, he was five years old. This kid is fucking Stewie Griffin. Like he's like the Yeah, dude. <laughs> um, so so again this is this really goes to this nature versus nurture debate. A kid's five years old is trying to murder people. Um, is that mischievous is that a cry for attention from his parents like is it because his dad was a drunk it was was it because he got hit was it because of his uh you know birth defects like who the hell knows but it, it is a sign like right and it's something that an attentive parent would hopefully respond to yeah yeah well it gets worse, Lee, because Paul Jr. would go on to tick some more boxes on the list of how to become a serial killer when he beat his grandma's dog to death with a baseball bat. All right. Now you're killing dogs here, Dan. I know. No one likes it when the dog dies. I understand. It's rough. And, and we're going to commercial break. Right after we've killed a dog with a baseball bat, you know what? Right the- after we've neganed a bit ba- like a dog, like- <laughs> that's I, let's do let's do one more little tidbit. We can't end on that, dude. Okay, thank you. That's too thank sad. You. That's too sad. <laughs> one more tidbit. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's rough. Like we can't end on the poor dog dying. That is terrible. Um, his grandma tried to discipline Paul Junior. She would tie him to a chair sometimes, as you do. Yeah. But mostly he got away. Like, Grandma was just too slow to catch him. <laughs> um, like, Grandma's... <laughs> sorry, Grandma. Sorry. She's, she, well, she's 70 years old. No, I know. I'm sorry for laughing at it. She's like, got to feel- take care of her own mom. She's a widow. Her drunken son has saddled her with this. these two kids, gives her no money. Mm-hmm. Like th- this poor woman had it rough, um, so I, yeah, I empathize deeply. Um, but Grandma, Paul's sisters, the neighborhood kids, classmates, 
school employees, they all became targets of his violent outbursts. Finally, a priest suggested that Paul attend a Catholic school for wayward boys, and he was shipped off to boarding school at eight years old. And guys, on that note, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with more Beyond Terrestrial. Good evening, ma'am. Hey, y'all. What can I do you for? Can I have a glass of Chardonnay? I'm sorry, darling. We don't serve that here. Any Merlot? I'm pretty sure you don't want these feet going nowhere near them grapes. Alrighty, how about a craft beer? Oh yeah, we got plenty of craft beer. Which one you want? No, not craft beer. Craft beer. Oh, no, hell no. I'm, I'm pretty sure the bar down the street serves that. Okay, well, what do you serve? I'm glad you asked. Welcome to the Backwoods Barcast. We serve up moonshine, cheap beer, bottom shelf liquor, and stories even harder to swallow. Join Nick and Brittany and the janitor Stephen as we discuss southeastern mysteries and mayhem, including but not limited to UFOs, true crime, the paranormal, and much more. So knock four times, grab a stool, let the bar talk commence, and as always, drink more beer. So I was just telling Lee and the rest of our listeners how a young Paul Reed Jr. was shipped off to boarding school at the age of eight years old for being um, what a lot of people might call a uh, devil child. or uh, I think it's a fair statement. I think it's a fair statement. Little asshole. Ooh, that's um, an even better one. Yeah, so very, very naughty, very mischievous. Uh, a, re- a problem child. That's the... You remember that movie, Problem Child? Yes, yes. Oh, as the Catholic priest put it, wayward boy. Yeah, like this. So, Paul Reed Jr. Uh, was the problem child, um, except like worse. <laughs> um, A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, he went to this Catholic school for troubled youths, and a few years later, when he was twelve, he was in like a mini bike accident. Um, I don't mini bike, I don't know, little motorcycle, something. I don't know. Anyway, it landed him in the hospital, and while he was uh, at the hospital, he was such a problem patient, yelling at nurses, being uncooperative, uh, that they decided to remand him to the custody of the state. They're just like this kid can't can't be controlled. Um, so they called Paul's parents to have this go through and when they called his mom to sign over the paperwork uh she actually came to the hospital to come get him oh okay you mean the mom that hasn't been present um for many many years yeah now that being said i do have to hand it to the mom custody was taken away from her right when she was possibly the more stable of the two. Right. Well, and I don't know what kind of uh, arrangements exactly they had. Um, his early life is very confusing because he was also a uh, liar. So <laughs> it's hard to pin down sometimes. Wait, so you're telling me a thief and murderer also lied about things? Y- oh, I yeah. can't believe yeah, it. Yeah, big time. So, Bullshit. Yeah. So he was not a good dude. Um 
But yeah, can you imagine like a kid, a 12-year-old kid in the hospital, so disruptive, so terrible that they're like, this guy has to be taken by CPS. Like, this no good. We, we need to remove this person from like everything, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is how terrible this kid was. Um, so like I was saying, Paul Jr. and his mom, they have a very kind of a strange relationship. Um, the She divorced his dad at three. Um, and because of Paul's grandiose lies, it's kind of hard to be- to know what to believe. Was his mom abusive? Did she buy him fancy and expensive gifts? Was he involved in sports and clubs at school, like a real all-American boy doing 4-H and crap? Uh, we we really can't say for sure. Um, but what we do know is that his mom, Joni, uh, valued hard work. She had remarried after she divorced. She had two more daughters, and she ended up working at an upscale restaurant at a Houston hotel. Ooh, upscale. Yes, very fancy. Um, Not long after Paul went to live with his mom, uh, a couple things happened. She got Paul a busboy job, and her and her husband, her new husband, split up. Oh. Yeah, so uh, it didn't work out with the new guy. But um, Paul's junior high and high school years um, were spent avoiding teasing for being in special ed, right? Uh, He had a mild speech impediment, but he played sports to help him make friends uh, and temper the abuse that he got from his classmates. This is a classic kid thing to do. Um, Is it? Yeah. Like, if you, like, you know... If you're a weird kid, but you don't want to get made fun of that much, you, like, join the football team. Okay. And you're still a weird kid, but now you're on the football team? Right. And and those guys, like, can't make fun of you as much. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Classic. I did that when I was in, like, the eighth grade. <laughs> oh, okay. What, yeah. what team did you join? The football team. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I joined the wrestling team um, kind of initially because of that, and then I kind of fell in love with it, so... Oh, yeah, there you go. But I wasn't really a, that weird of a kid. I mean, I was a weird so, I kid. I mean, says you. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, says me. I mean, you weren't this weird of a kid. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was not that weird of a no, kid. <laughs> not a lot of people are this weird of a kid. Um, thank goodness. I mean, there was that one time uh, when I attempted to um, catch my grandmother's bed on fire while right, she was in it. But, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, anyway, I digress. Right, so... Um, so he, in these early years, he tried to do a lot of stuff, but he actually was pretty good at the restaurant work that his mom got him into. Um, he advanced from a busboy to a dishwasher to being like a bar boy, um, where he would be like a go for, for the chefs running errands, doing all kinds of stuff, wear a tuxedo, um, help out with the bar as a bar back, that sort of stuff. Uh, He learned culinary arts from some of the top chefs. Again, this is a fancy upscale sort of place. So it's high end, you know. Um, But as he advanced as as a cook in the restaurants, he also advanced in his criminal activities, Lee. He's just building. Wait. 
you're telling me this is like a classic case of escalation? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. He, I mean, he was building up the whole time. Um, he added such crimes as uh, petty larceny, car theft, and assault to his rap sheet. Nice. Yes, very good. Nice. Um, So at the tender age of 16, old sweet 16, Paul Reed Jr. was kicked out of the house. So wait, he didn't get a sweet 16 party? He got a get the fuck out party? Uh, yeah. Lee, if you were to venture a guess as to why Paul Reed Jr. Uh, got kicked out of his mom's house, what would you think? Um, you know... I'm assuming he ate the last chocolate bar. Yeah, probably. And he also attempted to sexually assault his sisters and his own mother. Oh. Well, that took a turn. Yeah. So it's not something the family talks about because um, it's bad. And this guy's a serial killer. And so they don't really want to talk about him. I don't understand why. Yeah. So... Yeah, but that's that's the details that they gave, and he got kicked out. So, where do you go? Paul went back to live with his father. So, the father, he was the drunkard, right? Indeed. Okay. Was the grandma still around? Um, uh, You know what? I don't think the book mentions her anymore, come to think oh, of it. Okay. All right. Well, maybe he was successful in killing her, his grandma. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. Or just, you know, time. She's 70. Time is usually <laughs> successful. Yeah. Um, undefeated time. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. Paul went to live back with his dad. He dropped out of school. Later in life, he lied about uh, spending this time with rich women who lavished him with gifts in return for his quote unquote company. Yes. Um, all, even after he was arrested and taken to prison after all of this, he always claimed that his lovers were rich, beautiful women. Nice. Nice. Yes. All my lovers are rich, beautiful women also. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. Actually, oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. She takes care of me. I'm a stay-at-home dad. <laughs> oh, Sarah. Yeah. Sarah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> She'll probably never hear this. Um, she's like, you never compliment me. <laughs> oh, well, you miss, you don't listen to the podcast, so there you go. <laughs> now she's going to listen to the podcast and hear what you're saying. Yeah, and she's going to be like, yeah. <laughs> GTFO. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Paul Reed Jr. dropped out of high school, but he uh, eventually went back to a community college and got his GED in 1977. So he was like about 20, 1920. Um, there he, uh, he eventually met a girl. He got a steady job as a machinist at a oil equipment firm, you know, uh, petroleum wells are a big business down there in texas lee you don't say yeah, i've heard i've oh, heard okay um right. i'll you know, take your word for it i i'm I sure wouldn't have thought so little little bit of money in the oil business from what i've been told <laughs> but anyway teach me something today um yeah and so this girl that he met 
uh, he eventually popped the question. And in the month of August, the year 1980, year of our Lord, 1980, (laughs) uh, Paul Reed Jr. was married. And according to Paul's sisters, they warned his bride, do not go through with this. (laughs) Well, she didn't listen. Wow. Yeah. And uh, surprise, surprise, Paul was a controlling narcissist who didn't give two shits about his new bride. Go figure. Yeah. Um, He would even go so far as to lock her in the house when he left. Nice. Yeah, which is the sort of thing that loving husbands do all the time. Trust me. (laughs) I want to protect her from getting out and, and like, accidentally doing something that might hurt herself. Right. right. Like, Like drive and grocery shop and be their own person. These these women, they just they need a firm hand, Lee. <laughs> this is why my wife doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Paul's wife, uh, who's never uh, mentioned by name, uh, she endured four years of marriage to Mr. Paul Reed Jr. until he was uh, sent up the river. Up the river. Yeah, that's a uh, euphemism for uh, prison, the big house, the hooskow. Oh, I thought it was like a, a like a twenties gangster term for murdered. No, uh, uh-uh, uh, no, murderated. Uh, too bad he wasn't murdered Killerated. because he went on to kill a bunch of people. <laughs> oh, yeah. so during his married years from 1980 to 1984, Paul committed a string of robberies on his own and with a partner, a one Mister Stuart Cook. Can't uh, trust those cooks. Yes, he was a friend of Paul's from uh, back in their junior high days. So, oh. yeah, good buddies knock over hardware stores together. Uh, <laughs> Lee, we did today. You haven't taken me on a single robbery the whole time I've been here. I came to see you. We haven't done one strong arm robbery. We've been waiting for the right time. Okay, yes. (laughs) So together or on their own, the two would uh, work their day jobs, and then they'd uh, knock over businesses at night. In 1982, Paul was busted for and charged with robbing four restaurants and a hardware store, though this was only a portion of the crimes he allegedly committed. So... Paul liked to rob restaurants. He had experience working in one as a kid, and he was familiar with their layouts. He knew where the safe should be, and uh, it was easy for him to deal with his with the staff members. So, in, it, uh, you know what? When you're holding a gun, I'm sure it's easy to deal with just about anybody. Oh uh, yeah, yeah I mean, better. except for the police and other people with guns. Yeah, yeah. Well, in these uh, five robberies that he was charged with, he didn't kill anyone. And the managers who cooperated and handed over the money in all of these cases lived and were subsequently able to identify Paul Reed Jr. in court. Oh. Yes. At the, oh. At the end of his court case, April 16th, 1984, the man who would become the fast food killer was sentenced to 20 years in Texas State Prison, including time served. Paul served only seven years of that 20-year sentence. 
This feels like a classic failure of the justice system. This is a failure of lots and lots of systems, <laughs> um, as we will see as the story progresses. Most notably, his conscious. Yeah, oh, yeah, like human decency. Yeah, definitely. Um, this guy is a big old asshole. So during his time in prison, Paul wrote paranoid letters to lawyers, newspapers, and the governor of Texas. He said he was being watched by the government. He was the victim of a mind control plot. Paul also worked out. An admirer of fitness guru Jack LaLanne as a boy, when he grew up, Paul would get a gym membership wherever he lived. So. Okay. This is a great combination. Um, weightlifting and believing people are trying to control your brain. Never, never any problems when uh, you put those two things together. <laughs> um, Let's give him a gun. Yes. Paul also offered his fellow inmates some sage advice on the art of the strong arm robbery. Cut your hair. Dress nice. The clean-cut look will keep people from suspecting that you are a criminal. They will not be on guard when you pull a gun and rob them. Okay. And he advised his inmate compatriots, don't leave any witnesses. That was the mistake that landed him in prison and one he did not intend to repeat. And on that note, I think it's time for us to take a quick break. After that break, we will be back with some more stories from Beyond Psychopaths. <laughs> Are you a fan of movies? Or comics? Or video games? Or just anything else nerdy? Well, you should check out the Zing This Podcast. And that's spelled Z-E-N-G. This. And we have nerdy topics from comic book reviews to in-depth analysis of iconic nerdy movies, as well as video game discussions. Mm-hmm. Where's some of the best places to find us, Allie? Well, Podbean, of course. You can also find us on iTunes. Stitcher, Google Play. Anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Podcasts. Yeah. So check us out. Once again, that is Zing, Zing This. All right, we are back, Lee. And I was just telling you all about Paul Reed Jr.'s stint in prison. Good news, he was released on parole in 1990. And he got work as a truck driver in the Fort Worth area. And he promptly got into a car accident. Great. Yes. Um, sadly, he didn't die. Um, since it. it was determined the other driver was at, Paul, was at fault. Was it Paul? Uh, well, <laughs> Paul, fault, Paul. Yeah. Um, Mr. Mr. Reed Jr. received workman's compensation and a $25,000 settlement check. He used this cash on. Did he get that messed up ear fixed? You know, you would think um, he used that cash on plastic surgery. 
little rhinoplasty, have his ears pinned back. Oh, he had all sorts of things happen. Oh, yes. He uh, had, like, some kind of, like, acid wash, like, peel thing to uh, fix acne scarring. Um, yeah. A this lot... dude's like, I'm going to change my appearance so I can be a better robber. Yes. Uh, he was Well, he was a narcissist, so he was very vain. Um, and he had the great idea he should become a country music superstar. You heard it here. Country music superstars. Right. Well, evidently this plastic surgery was not very good. Because <laughs> um, a lot of people later on would say he looked kind of strange. Like, not quite right. Could so, it have been that he was, like, literally just uh-huh. crazy? And they just, like, they could feel the aura? Yeah, that's definitely part of it for sure. But, I mean, $25,000... Texas plastic surgery, maybe a little botched. Maybe a little Mexico. Yes. <clears throat> um, he worked, after this, he worked some odd jobs. He bounced around from Fort Worth to Chicago to Nashville, back to Fort Worth to Oklahoma City. And in this time, his paranoid delusions returned. Mm. Yes. Paranoia, narcissism. Super fit. All right. I like where we're going here. Yes, yes. Um, we're making a... Dog murder. I mean, yeah. come on. We're making a... Yeah. We've got all the ingredients for a serial killer soup right here. Um, <laughs> and, and... and as we turn the... <laughs> yeah. Nasty. Um, and Stir the pot. A, a nice ben. little flavor of uh, wanting to be a country music superstar, which is a nice yes. little twist on that recipe. So, um, at, like any good aspiring country singer would, in 1995, he moved to Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. He um, did what a lot of aspiring singers do, Lee. He got a job at a restaurant. <laughs> well, that's what he knows. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, he does have the work experience. Um, and let's be honest, how many uh, dishwashers in the city of Nashville play a guitar? Mm. How many? How many waiters in that town sing? Um, mm. uh, I. Would prefer not to answer that question for fear of upsetting some of our listeners. I I would I believe the percentage is probably uh, very high, um, but you know that's Music City for you. That's where dreams go to be crushed or made. Yes. yes. So that and L.A. like th- those are your two chances. Right. Um, visit Nashville. Lot more fun because then you don't have that pressure of trying to become a country music superstar. You just go to Broadway, go to some honky tonks, drink beer, party. Way better. Nash Vegas, that's where it's at. Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. So, um, because because he had spent so much time lifting, right? He he was working at a Shoney's, Lee Shoney. I've never been to Shoney's. Uh, it's kind of like a Denny's. This is what I figured. Yeah, I've yeah. never been though. Um, so because he had spent so much time lifting in prison, Lee, he was known around the Shonies for being the guy to like pick up stuff. Like you get some heavy boxes in or whatever, <laughs> like you need help putting shit away. 
Like they're like, go get go get Paul. That dummy, he'll just fucking lift it right over his head. <laughs> That's true. He was like the big the big guy to lift stuff. He was not, that was his thing. Um, interviews with like his former co-workers they're always like oh he was always so nice you know he'd pick up heavy stuff <laughs> that was <laughs> that was his thing that was all of it too <laughs> like he was just so nice like yeah. i'd be trying to lift something heavy i couldn't lift it so yeah. they'd come and pick it up and it yeah. was great well um beyond you know cooking and uh picking up things he tried to accomplish his goal of being a country music superstar he would go down to the Opryland Amusement Park, which is now a mall, I guess. Um, and he would busk. He'd be out there playing. He'd hand out 8 by 10 photos of himself. And he'd sign them all with his country music pseudonym, Lee. If you were going to name this guy country music superstar, Paul Reed Jr., what, what, what do you think? Justin Lawrence... McMurderer. You know what? You're actually doing pretty good. He called himself Justin Parks. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that was his country music name. Um, I've scoured the internet trying to find any demos of his uh, music. And um, I can't find any. But uh, according to people who have heard... um, Paul was tone deaf. <laughs> he already had a bad ear, so it's not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but the pictures of him as a country star with his, like, white hat and mustache are, like, peak 90s. Very good. Oh, like straight up Garth Brooks but oh, with a mustache? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. I'm so glad. <laughs> um. When he when he wasn't working or playing, uh, Paul actually made some friends. Uh, he you know stayed in an apartment building, knew the people, knew his neighbors. Um, he was known for being kind of a bit of a goofball, like a big kid. Like he had like stuffed animal in his car and some weird shit like that. Um, and he started taking uh, remedial courses to improve himself at the local community college. But being a liar. He told people that he was a law student. <laughs> yeah, so he was taking, like, hey. basic writing. Dan, Dan, I'm a law student. How do you spell seven? <laughs> I'm seriously, like, reading comprehension courses, and he's like, well, guys, you can't mess around with me. I'm pre-law. Uh, <laughs> what's seven plus two? three <laughs> yeah dude absolutely insane this guy um but that you know that's the life of a of a liar of a narcissist of a sociopath he's so built up in his own head that that's the thing uh you know i don't have much for this like i'm just watching this train wreck happen yeah right now. i didn't i didn't put this in the notes but i'm going to tell it right here just to illustrate this point about how built up he is in his own head um, later on, he wore a Burger King crown to his own father's funeral, and he insisted that his relatives call him King Paul. Commit him. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Commit him. Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Um, that that's uh, just a little add-on from the book. Um, so, anyways, uh, as a convicted felon, he was not allowed to purchase guns. Lee, you know that. That's a thing that you can't do. I do know that. Not from experience, but I know that. Like, I just want to clarify that because you said, <laughs> Lee, you know that. You like, know that, Lee. You're a convicted felon. <laughs> I'm not a convicted felon. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> convicted. <laughs> well, while he was acquiring friends, he also kind of convinced some of them to sell him guns. <sighs> or buy him guns at pawn shops through a straw man sale. Look at that. Yeah, because cause that's not... But our laws, Lee, our gun laws, they're so strict. Just saying. I, I love guns. I think you should own a gun um, if you're responsible. Um, a man has a right to defend his home. Um, but an asshole like this should never have a gun. I I agree with that. And I feel like a lot of it... I agree with you on that, but I do not want to um, offend all of our listeners. So I feel like we should stop talking about gun control. No, I, I just I'm all I'm all for gun control. If you mean using two hands to kill assholes like this, <laughs> but, but you know, I, just to clarify, he's smart enough to not use two pistols. It would be a rifle. <laughs> right. Like I said, this guy was just a, a big old jerk, um, and. Yeah, he skirted the law, so what are you going to do? Um, but, Lee, guns cost money. Gym memberships cost money. College courses cost money. Trying to be a country music singer and paying the rent in Music City costs money. And working at a Shoney's is not, like, super lucrative. Are you sure? I've been to Shoney's. They look like they're rolling in it. It's real fancy, huh? It's real fancy. <laughs> That's, That's where you have to put on shoes and real pants. <laughs> God dang, son. Uh, <laughs> that is that is so Tennessean. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it was it was getting tight. Things were getting tight for Paul Reed Jr. And he suggested to some of his co-workers that he knew an easy way to make quick cash. <laughs> yeah. I feel like anytime somebody tells you that, you should just turn away and turn yeah. and oh, walk yeah. away. Well, they, like, they did. They laughed at him. They laughed at the suggestion of robbing restaurants with no, Paul. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. No, if somebody says, like, if somebody comes to you and says, I know an easy way you can make some quick cash, you turn and walk away. If somebody comes to you and says, let's rob a restaurant together, you call the cops. (laughs) Well, it was like, it was like, you know, they're working in the back. They're like, man, this sucks. You know what we could do? You know how much money this place makes on a Saturday? We should just fucking take it. Like, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's like two months of rent. Like, (laughs) I know. I know. While uh, other employees laughed off the idea of robbing their own restaurant or other restaurants, Paul Reed Jr. was not laughing. He was very serious. And on February 16th, 1997, he put his plan into action. 
Um, it was at a Captain D's restaurant. You ever been to Captain D's? You know, I I haven't just because I'm not like really into like fast food seafood places. But you know, it's okay. It, it it's one of those. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, I I would, but I just you know, if yeah, I was I mean, looking for some fried shrimp baskets or something like that, I, you know, it's. It, I mean, you run the risk like you do with any other um, fast food fish of, you know, <laughs> getting real sick. But you know, yeah, we've got a, we've got a couple down in Mississippi. Uh, we got a pens. <clears throat> we've been to those ones before. We like pens, but oh, I've never been to pens. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how big the chain is. Um, but anyways, we got Captain D's down there, so we'll try one out eventually. I'm sure. Um, this Captain D's hadn't opened yet. It was early in the morning. And the only two people there was the store manager, Steve Hampton, and Sarah Jackson, 16-year-old employee and friend of Steve's. Um, uh, Steve Hampton sounds like the kind of guy that like people want to work for. He was very friendly. He had been working fast food since a young age. He was moving up. He had a real future in the company. So... Good for him. And a uh, little side note, Captain D's also owned by Shoney's at the time it was. Huh? Yeah. Didn't so, know that. There you go. Um, this Captain D's was on Old Lebanon Road in Donaldson, which is uh, just east of downtown mm-hmm. Nashville. Um, and it was Donaldson's home to tourist destinations. Uh, the Grand Old Opry is in Donaldson. So it's... A pretty well trafficked, nicer part of the city. Yeah. Um, so just before 9 a.m., Paul Reed Jr. came knocking. Uh, it was a Sunday. The restaurant was not open yet. Um, and we don't know what exactly he said, um, but what we do know is that Paul Reed Jr. had actually visited Captain D's the night before see what happened was the night before just after closing paul also came knocking on the door of captain d's there were four young male employees inside closing and i guess i don't know if it was the numbers that scared him off maybe he was just casing the place try and get a feel for it um he asked them for a job application and when the best time to return it would be. So that was it. So he came back with the job application, probably used it to get inside. And uh, that's when he pulled a gun on Steve Hampton. Forced him into the into the back uh, to open up the safe, empty out the registers, all that kind of stuff. Uh, he even took Steve's wallet. Um, Steve had, I guess Steve had the rent money in his wallet or something like that. So he took Steve's wallet as well. Uh, he made Steve and Sarah go into the back. Sarah was just like prepping coleslaw for the day, you know, mm-hmm. like working. And all of a sudden, boom, strong arm robbery. Um, he made them go into the walk-in cooler and lie down on the floor on their stomachs. He shot Steve Hampton twice in the back of the head and once in the back. He shot Sarah Jackson five times. He used a thirty-two caliber revolver. 
the evidence suggests that Sarah was shot three times like Steve, twice in the head and once in the back. But the first two headshots uh, were considered superficial by the medical examiner. That means at some point, this asshole, Paul Reed Jr., reloaded his gun to keep shooting a 16-year-old girl. Yeah, that's some, that's a dick move. Fuck him. Yeah, giant asshole. So, um. First of all, just be accurate your first time. (laughs) Right, yeah, like, but, you know, the people are laying down, he's standing above them. This is 100% execution style. Mm -hmm. Um, you can imagine at a shallow enough angle, he might not. It might have grazed her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that seems like that's what happened. Um, and she uh, she tried to get up. I mean, that's what the evidence suggests. She tried to crawl away and he came back and finished the job. So, um, yeah, asshole, dick move. Um, some other sad facts. Um, Sarah didn't normally work Sundays. She had asked her mom for permission to be at work that day to earn extra money so imagine how her poor mom felt after that yeah so um yeah and that's something like that's something people deal with when these tragedies happen like you know if it had been any normal day you no one would have felt bad about it oh she went to work on sunday she made a little extra money she's 16 she's going out on her own good for her Uh uh-huh not that day nope so, All changed in an instant. Yeah. Um, and like I was saying, Steve Hampton, 25 years old. Uh, he left behind a wife and three kids. The youngest had just turned three. Wow. Sarah Sarah Jackson had been over at the Hamptons house for this kid's third birthday. Um, and then they went into work together the next day. Wow. Yeah. So, according to Steve's wife, this is this is going to be rough, guys. This is rough, these murders. Um, according to Steve's wife, she does not remember how she told her children this terrible news. Um, she never wants to remember the faces that they made, ever. Um, so, she's blocked it out. Uh, I can understand why. Yeah. So... That's uh, that's the sort of thing that happens uh, when these terrible things, when people experience these losses. So, um, anyways, that's that's the sad truth. Um, where were we at? Let's see. Oh, I scrolled down too far in my notes. Sorry. So another employee had, was coming on for the shift. Sarah and Steve were there doing the prep. Another employee was going to come to help them open the store mm-hmm. and start running for the day. Um, but he found the doors locked. He went to nearby restaurants and tried to call them on the phone. This is the days before everyone had a phone in their pocket, 1997. So he had to go around trying to make phone calls, and no one would answer. It became clear that something was wrong. Other Captain D's employees were notified. One of the workers who had been there the night before, his dad is actually a Nashville cop. 
So he called up his father, sent him over there to check on the place, right? Uh, an assistant manager arrived with keys. This was a little bit before noon. So this store was supposed to open up over an hour ago. Uh-huh. Um, but no one's been able to get anyone on the phone. And that, and that assistant manager a little bit before noon. So you want to guess that assistant manager may have just been coming in for his shift for the day. Uh, no. So they had to call him up. They had to, they called up all these employees. They're like, something's wrong. No one's answering the phone. The store's supposed to be open. No one's here. Mm-hmm. So he comes down with the keys, right? Okay. Um, and who knows how far he had to come from, but whatever. Uh, Nashville officer, Jeff Wells, whose son worked at captain D's, uh, found two of his son's, co-workers his son's manager dead in the cooler uh the vhs security tape nowhere to be found uh safe open registers open uh a few people who had driven by the restaurant that morning claimed to see a tall man with dark hair acting suspiciously around the captain d's one said uh that he thought the man had long hair and another said he was wearing a Shoney's apron. Paul Reed Jr. worked at Shoney's. Did Paul Reed Jr. have long hair? No, he shaved his head, didn't he? He had short hair, so he was misidentified by one of the witnesses. Okay. So. Could he have had a wig? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Was his mustache fake, too? <laughs> uh, no, his mustache looks very fake, but it is also very real. <laughs> Uh, um, so Paul Reed Jr. has just committed his first grisly murder, but it seems like we might have some leads on his whereabouts. What's going to happen? Will he be caught? Will he continue? If you already know the story, well, you know, there's some continuing that's about to go on. (laughs) Um, I'm willing to bet, like, I, um, you know, coming from the outside, uh, it's really hard to say somebody gets uh, named the fast food killer without having more than one killing. <laughs> o- only knocking over one story. Yeah. So, so yeah, there is more to this story, and we will dive deeper into Paul Reed Jr., a.k.a. the fast food killer, a.k.a. Justin Parks. On the next episode of Beyond Terrestrial, folks, stay safe and keep looking for more strange stories from out there, Beyond Terrestrial. Thank you for listening to Beyond Terrestrial, all three of y'all. If you're still a fan of this show, follow Beyond Terrestrial on social media and join the Beyonders Facebook group for even more strangeness. Links to everything, including previous episodes, are available at beyondterrestrial.com. That's the place to go for stickers, merch, show swag, and our Patreon. Patrons get exclusive access to ad-free shows, giveaways, and the unedited after-show show. Anything you give to the show goes straight to Funk Master B's bachelor pad, which for now is also where these giant turkeys record this show. The show was edited by Simple Equations Media with music by Mike Root. Dan and Lee will be back next Tuesday with more from Beyond Terrestrial.